Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, church. If you're new to our church, my name is Dave. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm so grateful. Each Sunday we still get to come out. Uh, I just continue to be so grateful we can do this. And I still remember fresh when we couldn't. And so I hope you're grateful, too, that it makes such a huge difference that we could be in person together like this. I want to start this morning with a hypothetical situation. I want you to imagine you're on a plane flying somewhere. How many of you have flown since COVID started? Just curious. All right, good. All right, so it's not so hypothetical. Uh, I'm going to fly soon, too, and... uh, Just thinking about this situation, a man on a plane suddenly has a medical event, an emergency. And it's clear that this passenger is in distress. Uh, Flight attendant approaches, and as they realize the seriousness of the situation, they shout out the question everyone knows from the movies, right? Is there a doctor on board? If you're a doctor, uh, just so curious, have any of the doctors in the house ever had that situation where you're on a plane? Oh, that's so cool. My brother has had that too. And like, I think every doctor sort of waits for that one flight when that does happen to them and hopes that the issue is in their specialty. But they shout the question. Now, I want you to imagine the scenario that a few rows up, there's a doctor who has worked incredibly hard for all of COVID. She has been laboring away, risking her personal safety, and putting the needs of others first, pulling double shifts again and again. And she is fried and worn out and is on her way to her first vacation since the pandemic began. Emptied out, spent. And she's committed to herself because she didn't want to go on this trip, but her family convinced her, go, go. And as she went on this trip, she promised herself, this whole week, I'm going to take care of me. I've been taking care of others for two years, and this week, I'm going to take care of myself. I don't think there's a person here who would begrudge that doctor her right to just relax, to prioritize self-care. We have people in this room who are in exactly that situation, have poured themselves out and not taking time for themselves. So none of us would say, you don't have that right We all know that you don't become a physician unless you've made great sacrifices and worked very hard. And so she's in this situation, and in her context, every one of us would cheer her on, take care of yourself. But I I give the scenario to ask one pointed question. In that moment, in spite of her personal context, in that situation, on that plane, does her medical training belong only to herself? Is it her thing to steward on her own terms only? Or is there a moral obligation and an inherent sense of rightness about her making herself available? And that's tough because I don't want someone like that to only serve because there's a moral obligation or societal expectation. 
But it's a question we have to confront whether we're doctors or not. And I imagine police officers are in much the same boat. Something goes down. Everyone's looking for someone to take control. We're going to wrap up our series today on stewardship. And throughout this whole series, the one foundational idea that I hope has come across is that at the end of the day, everything we think of as ours belongs to God. And at the heart of stewardship is this simple idea that whatever I consider mine, which is my freedom to manage and use as I believe, ultimately is an expression of how I think about God and his right, his authority, his calling over my whole life. In the end, the way I manage my time, the way I manage my treasure, and even the way I manage my talents is ultimately not an expression of my wisdom in managing life, but it's an act of worship. It's a testament to what I think about God. Now, certainly, when we think about our talents, even our time and treasure, we all personally benefit from every resource entrusted to us. I know that, because I grew up in a doctor's home, I know that if you work hard and sacrifice and you're a medical doctor, it's not an easy life, but you're not broke either. It's a pretty comfortable life. My father's medical training afforded me a very comfortable middle-class, upper-middle-class existence growing up. It gave him a good name in society. He earned a great reputation. No one gets disappointed when their kid brings home someone to marry and goes, it's just a doctor. And you're like, darn it. I was hoping for a pastor. Said nobody ever, right? And yet, as much as we personally benefit from the things entrusted to us, if we're followers of Christ, there's a second question that has to drive our lives. And that is, what benefit does God and his people derive from my life? Because one day, we will all give an account for how we lived our lives, and a big part of that is how we joined God or did not join him in his great work in this world. The message today is about stewarding our talents. <clears throat> and I like this picture of a scale because it looks like two hands holding up trays. I, don't, it just, I see a cartoon character in there somewhere. But you'll understand a little bit later why I chose that image. We tend to think about talent, that word talent today, mainly as a natural aptitude or skill, right? So someone might have a talent for drawing or singing or cooking, and we say, wow, you're so talented. But the word talent could be traced back to a Greek word, an ancient Greek word, talenton, which meant a balance or scale on which things are measured. And in the same way that you say, oh, I ordered a pallet of things, a pallet is just a, a, a thing that things stand on, but eventually it comes to be equivalent to the things that can fit on there. And so a talent was thought of as that weight of precious metal which would overload a scale, right? A, a very significant amount of a precious metal which you would put on that scale and weigh. So in ancient, in ancient times, the word talent became 
a denomination of weight, especially for precious metals. The way you might think about carrots for a stone, for example. The Babylonians used it, and when they talked about a talent, that was the largest unit of money the ancient mind could conceive of. One talent of gold was equivalent to about 75 pounds. And if you've ever seen those long-term storage gold bars, each one is about, uh, I think, 25 pounds. And so if you think about that, in modern equivalent, 75 pounds of gold is about $1.65 million. It's pretty heavy. 75, I don't know if I could carry 75 pounds around with me at this point in my life. That's the literal value of the substance itself. 75 pounds of gold is worth today 1.65 million. But that's not the way the ancient mind would have thought about a talent because they didn't measure it just in terms of its monetary value, but the equivalency, the symbolism of that. You see, a talent of gold, they, they measure things in terms of denarii or drachma, which is one day's wage for the average laborer. They had a unit of currency that made it easy. You didn't have to sit there and put dollars and cents and a direct deposit. You just gave the person a coin. Here's what you get for a day's work. And one talent of gold was equivalent to 180,000 days wages for the average worker. That's the weight, the significance of a talent for the ancient mind. So if we do that based on today's average national salary in the United States... 180,000 workdays is worth about $27.4 million. And do you see the differential weight between just looking at it as a substance and giving it its monetary value and thinking about the psychological impact of a talent of gold? It is worth a lot of money. And, And basically, I raise those things to say that a talent, when you're using it in terms of money, or precious metals, is a very precious, very valuable amount. It's not the kind of thing you just ignore. It's a lot to lose, but there's a lot of potential energy there too. With a talent of anything, you can do a lot. And if you lost a talent, you would remember it for the rest of your earthly existence. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, Jesus tells this story. It's a moral story called the parable of the talents. And I know we're talking about talents in the way we think about it today. But what's interesting to me is that that same word is very close to the meaning Jesus had in telling the story. He wasn't talking about gold really at all. In the story, a very rich man, you you guys probably know it if you grew up in the church. He goes off on a long journey. Before he does so, he gives each of three, probably his top household servants, the responsibility to manage a certain amount of his wealth. To one, he gives one talent. And if you think about it in terms of $27.4 million, that's a lot. To another, he gives two. And to another, he gives five. I can't even do five times $27.4 million. I'm not that good at math, but that's a lot of money. And so he gives each one according to his assessment of how they're wired and what they're capable of. And he goes on his trip. And when he returns, he finds that the one he gave five talents to has doubled that investment through shrewd investments. He's used that money to make more money. And the guy who's given two talents does the same thing. He returns the original trusted amount and then some. But the third servant who got one talent says, well, I know you're not a nice guy. 
I was afraid of what might happen if I lost any of it. And so because I was gripped with fear and worry, what I did was dug a hole in the backyard. So it's not like I did nothing. I, it was not easy digging a hole in the middle of the night in secret so no one else could see it. And I kept that secret the whole time you were gone. And here is your original money, not a penny missing. And he was proud of himself because he had managed not to lose anything. And yet the interesting word in Jesus' story that the master uses to describe that third servant was wicked and lazy. Not conservative, not shrewd, not safety-oriented, but wicked and lazy. That's weird to me. The clear thing about this parable, and I think every scholar who has ever studied it would agree, is that this is not a story about shrewd financial management. It's not the story on which a financial planner's career should be built. It's not about multiplying money, but it's about the way that we take everything entrusted to us. And so in that sense, Jesus using the word talent in his story is using it much closer to the way we think about it when we talk about talent in the marketplace today. How many of you are managers or directors or in the C-suite at work? You're a boss of somebody. A lot of us, boss of somebody. So when you, th- when you talk about in the modern workplace and we say, oh, what kind of talent are you bringing in? We use the word talent to describe someone who not just has some basic aptitude or skill. Everybody's got something. If you got hired at all, you at least hit the baseline requirement. But we talk about talent in this way. It's that person who takes what they have and they convert it into a significant contribution. They multiply their impact by being diligent or creative or having an out-of-the-box approach. But when we say, hey, are you getting good talent these days? We're not talking about how many employees, how many FTEs are on your payroll. We're talking about those those starters, those people who bring the best of themselves so that whatever they were given in life, they're somehow taking it and times doing it. And the opposite of talent, the way we use it in the modern workplace, is a term called dead weight. It's a person who fulfills the basic job description they were handed on hiring day, but has almost never exceeded expectations, has never converted that into something profound, an above-expectations contribution. Now, be careful how you hear me, because I'm not talking about just earning your worth by working really hard. But I'm talking about taking what God has given you, even if you think it's not that much, even if you're sour over the fact that someone else got twice or five times as much as you. Today I was trying to help with the screen, and there was one part that was pretty high up, and Pastor Jeff came by to help. And what I would normally need to get up on the stage and then still do this, he stood on the floor and just went, let me just do it. And I was like... Something didn't feel good about that moment for me. I was just thinking, I'm so willing to help. Why am I the step stool guy for the rest of my life? Maybe you're sour about the fact that other people were given more, but the heart of this parable is whatever it is you were given, even if you think it's not very much at all, it's this heart of looking at the God who gave it to you and saying, this still belongs to you. If all I have is breath in my lungs, a life to give up, it's yours. There's this sense of awe and privilege in acknowledging that what I thought was mine 
actually was given to me by God who wanted me to hold it for a moment because in my hands, he will get honor if I acknowledge him. It's this idea that Jesus is teaching through the parable of the talents. And so in that sense, the word talent no longer means natural skill or aptitude. It's no longer a sum of money. It's a code word that's equivalent to the sum total of all of our soft assets. Those things which are not financial or monetary, but are ours nonetheless. They describe us. They are things that are true of us. They represent in physics world the potential energy we bring to the world. And the point of Jesus' story and the point of this message is this. Whether you think you have one or two or five or a hundred, every one of us has been entrusted with something of great value. Even the guy with one needed to understand just how huge a trust the master had given to him. And he gives that to us and says, I want you to benefit from this but I also want to benefit through you. And if God benefits from our lives, because of the way God is, others will for sure benefit from our lives as well. There's always going to be this tension between selflessness and self-preservation. Every time I want to be selfless and sacrificial, every time my heart is stirred, when I pull out that wallet to give a gift to somebody, or if I pull over my car to help someone in the road, there is this tension of, oh my gosh, I find myself pulling over onto the shoulder to help a stranded motorist, but I'm thinking in the back of my mind, what if this takes all day? You're at a church picnic. This happened once. Uh, I don't think Andy's in the room, but um, I I had a concussion once at one of our church picnics. I was playing football the way I do everything, like with no common sense, and I dove for something. I collided heads with a very large guy at our church. He was unaffected at all. I went unconscious for a number of minutes, came back, no memory, sprawled out on the ground. Andy Choi pulled up his car onto the park grass. They lifted me in, and he took me to the emergency room, and he was glad to do it, I think, for like 15 minutes. And he realized, oh, there's no easy way to extract myself from the situation. He basically took my burden on because I was, he was my ride and my only moral support. We had young kids, so Jeannie couldn't even be with me. And, and Andy sat with me for like four hours at the hospital that day. I bet he was a little sorry that he pulled his car up. In the moment, though, it felt like the right thing to do. He was moved. He saw the need. He was inspired. And then comes the cost, and you're like, oh, man. At least I know the next time someone is unconscious, I'll be like, someone, get a car. (laughs) I I won't actually go get my own. So we learn our lesson because there is always a tension between selflessness and self-preservation. Every time I'm doing something noble and selfless, there is this nagging feeling of the cost, and we're always asking ourselves this question again and again in life. Is it worth it? Do I really want to say yes to this? Is it worth it? And in that question is the heart of the matter. Because when we ask the question, is it worth it? That's the foundational question for what worship is. Worship is not admiration. It's not giving a big cheer as the biggest fan in the room. It's not some romantic type love and affection. Worship is the declaration of the worth of someone. 
That's what worship is. We use worship as synonymous with singing, but really, worship at its heart is the answer to the question, is he worthy of whatever it is that my heart is being stirred to do? When we look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's often called the hall of faith. It's example after example of lives in Scripture from the beginning of time on who honored God by living lives of radical faith. And what's so interesting to me is one of the starting points is that these people began with this simple conviction, God exists. You don't really reckon with that, that idea, does God, is he really there until it's going to cost you big time? And at that moment, you've got to be sure that this is real. Does God exist? And then later it says, and do I truly believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him? In other words, is my willingness to lay everything out for God a good decision or a stupid one? And these people are commended forever, recorded in Scripture forever, because they answer the question, yes. He's real, and because he's real, he is worthy of everything. If you read Hebrews 11, you know, I've read it so many times now, and each time something else keeps popping up for me. We named our first kid Noah because of this chapter of Scripture. Just as a reminder that this crazy man felt a call from God, and he undertook a project bigger than any one person should try, And he endured ridicule and hostility the whole time. And he still completed it. The people in this chapter, they offered up to God that thing which they treasured the most, on which their entire hope and identity was anchored. In some cases, their great achievement was living righteously in an unrighteous world, resisting temptation. That is no small thing because it's really hard to cling to your convictions in a world that doesn't seem to share those convictions. Some of them, like Moses, abandoned lives of privilege and comfort in order to stand with God's people in justice. They could have had a very different life, but they chose to walk away because they saw something greater in the life to which God called them. Some of them took up arms against an enemy who so vastly outnumbered them, believing that even though I am small and my enemy is big, victory comes from God. And some of them, and this is the hardest part of it to read, includes details like they were sawn in two. They suffered and died horrific deaths in persecution rather than denouncing and giving up claim of God on their lives. And about all these people, the word of God says in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is not just an idea or a feeling. It's a decision to anchor everything we do 
on this notion that God is more than an idea. He's real. He's a being like you and I. That he can be known and that when we know him, we will find him worthy of everything that we're asked to do. You don't live the way these people lived unless you truly believe that. And there have been a few times in my own life where that's gotten real for me. Maybe there has been for you as well. I think it's always helpful when we hear not just from the preacher, but from others in the church. Some of you still remember when I interviewed Lynn on stage, and many of you still comment how helpful that was to you. I want to invite Drew and Yumi Wu up to the stage. And I'm going to pull this over to the side so we don't have an accident here. And I'm going to invite them up because recently they made a decision in their life that affected the whole family. Uh, And it's not like, um, you know, this earth-shattering decision, but it's a decision that many of you will probably face at some point. And um, it's the way that they navigated it really encouraged me. So I wanted to invite them up, and here's a a mic for you guys to share. And I want to just ask them a few questions and have you kind of listen in on how they processed it. So, Drew and Yumi, I don't know if everybody in the church knows you guys. Could you just share a little bit about yourselves and your journey to come to be a part of Harvest and everything? Sure. Um, Hi, my name is Drew. This is my wife, Yumi. Um, uh, I'm 36 and Yumi's 40. And uh, we have... We have four kids. We lost two early. Um, today's actually Zoe's birthday over there, so she's three. And uh, we have a seven-year-old, um, Caleb, who is um, in Seeds. Um, we started attending Harvest uh, CG about three years ago, and uh, we recently decided to um, attend Harvest in person. Thank you. Oh, two years ago, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. And Yumi, anything to add? No, that was all good. <laughs> now, I know you guys have two young kids, and you've got a job that requires you to do a lot of driving all over Chicago and Indiana. And uh, Recently, you were invited to join the praise team, and it's one of those teams at our church that is the most expensive commitment. Um, and yet, Audrey, without any shame or hesitation, <laughs> looked right at you and asked you to join because you have this ability play the bass guitar. As you were hearing that invitation, what were some of the thoughts going through your mind, some of the apprehensions or things that you were weighing? Um, I think initially um, my thought was only having one vehicle. Um, We all have to grab the kids and um, come together early. And um, because Yumi already watches the kids throughout the week while I'm at work, the weekends are usually kind of like my time to kind of spend with the kids, so I think it was a huge commitment trying to say, hey, Yumi, let me play the bass, and you guys, you can watch the kids, you know? Um, so I think initially that was um, my main concern. Um, just digging a little bit deeper, I think, uh, one of my struggle was I've, um, I think about the past a lot, just like uh, your last sermon, and um, I've carried a lot of that hurt and frustration. So I think that was my initial hesitation in joining the team, but um, I think that was, that was something that I had to p- 
push through and seize the seize the moment. So. And Yumi, it's not just Cost and Drew. <laughs> so yeah, I'd love to hear from I, you. Yeah, I've been kind of in this um, journey the last couple of years where I felt I was, in a sense, as much as I love, you know, being a full-time wife or full-time mom and a part-time wife at home, it's been challenging in a sense where I felt I was kind of losing my identity. I remember having lunch with a girlfriend, a new girlfriend, and, you know, she asked me, like, what are your hobbies? And I realized besides like cleaning the house and cooking and you know taking my kids to school and um yeah I just didn't really know kind of like what my passions and purpose were anymore in my life and so that kind of fell around the time that Drew was asked to serve and so um there was kind of that selfishness in me that was like like you know it was almost in a sense like, oh, it's like one more thing that kind of I have to carry um, and care for. Um, but, yeah, I was really thankful because I think we also learned a lot through um, leaving our last church because we had actually came literally right before the world shut down to harvest. And so our journey in harvest was very different than any other church we had visited in the past. And so... Um, on top of that, and then on top of, um, you know, I, Pastor Jeff had mentioned a couple weeks ago just different things coming out within the churches. And so we had to really talk through and communicate as a couple what are the important things that we want to hold on to, not just in our marriage and our family, but as we give to the church. Um, and I think it started to look a little bit more different. Um, because of all the things that were kind of coming out. And like what Drew was saying, you know, he had to kind of come to term with things that he was realizing he had to heal from in the past. Um, so it challenged us in that way where we really had to talk through things, um, be honest with each other, which I feel for the most part we've been. But, yeah, these were, like, really tough things that, you know, I had to even say, like, yeah, is it okay if, for me too, like, that we come and then, you know, I'm with the kids, especially winter time, it gets challenging where in the summer and fall, I can just run to the park before service starts. But yeah, small things like that, like small details where it's like, can I really full, with my full heart commit? Um, because it was a team decision. You know, it wasn't just an individual decision. And as a family, what time do you guys have to get here on Sundays? Uh, we have to be here by 8. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I'm ashamed to say that sometimes on Sunday, I'm just waking up at 8. So thank you. So I know. Yeah, I know. I got to do better. That. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of stuff swirling around in there as you hear that invitation. What if you could just share with us how you processed and came to the decision to say yes? Um, I, w I was I was really um, I, I was really blessed by um, Audrey's persistence. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. No, um, <laughs> just kidding, Audrey. Um, I, I I really really I really really was blessed, or actually we were really blessed by how Audrey 
um, came and made herself available to both of us, talking about how this decision will definitely alter um, just the dynamics of our family um, and to give us time to really talk about it and pray about it. So it wasn't like, I need you next week. Um, but uh, I, I really, really uh, was taken back a little bit because um, there aren't many times that someone's given us, both Yumi and I, space to really um, think through, pray through, um, and make that decision together as a couple. So, yeah. Yeah, and kind of going along with that, I feel to be completely transparent, we had come to this church a little bruised, a little hurt from our past. Um, and still processing that, grieving that, that, um, that feeling too, um, was really hard because to be honest, we're naturally very giving. And so for us to, you know, like Drew said, we were thankful Audrey gave us the space and time to really think about things and pray through things. Um, But on a personal note for me, I realized too, um, how I was sharing earlier with my journey of kind of trying to figure out who I am now. Um, I was thankful that God had really prompted me to remember the importance of supporting my husband. And um, I remember, you know, in the past so many moments that because he was hurt from ministries he had been part of, um, yeah, just seeing kind of his spirit dwindling because he is someone who just loves to serve, especially through worship, you know. Um, And so when he was really eager and realized he's in a good place in his heart and his mind, I felt, you know, in a sense, it was my calling and my responsibility as I made that commitment as his wife to support him. And, you know, yes, there are days where it's tiring to come, especially because our kids wake up so early in the morning. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, it was also just a couple of things that really affirmed it, too. For me, personally, was the first day Drew shadowed being on praise team. I had already been pretty tired that morning because Zoe had woken up at 4.30 that day. And, um, you know, I was just kind of, like, selfishly questioning, like, did we make the right choice? Can I really do this? But I remember someone from the praise team came up to me and welcomed us um, as a family. And, um, you know, I was mentioning to that person, because I felt bad, I was like already crying in that moment, first time meeting this person on praise team. But I just really felt God's hand over that, that we had made the decision as a family, but we felt from the team itself, we felt that we were seen as a family, if that makes sense. Um, and, and that's just like a small glimpse, too, of we felt so thankful for this church. So thank you, Harvest, so much. You've been so life-giving, even though we've come during such a hard time during a pandemic. But we felt your arms open to us and to our family. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the way that you've loved on us. And 
And then also just on a personal note, I realized that God has given me so much in my life. And God has blessed me more than I can imagine. And so how can I not how can I not give and sacrifice this small way to give back for all that he's done and for all the ways he's been good and faithful all these years. So all of that, in a sense, had made our decision really easy to commit and to, to give. Thank you. Can we just give them a hand? And before you guys step down, we're going to just pray for you, okay? God, we thank you for this family. And the cost is real, but you are more real than the cost. And thank you for revealing yourself to them and leading them into this difficult, costly decision. I just really love Yumi's testimony that it was a hard decision made easy when she saw you. And we pray, God, that that would be true of all of us. Lord, there are real costs here, so we pray that you would sustain their joy and their ability and willingness to serve you. That each week they come, they would experience the joy of serving the living God and a church that they care about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can just leave it on the ground there. Thank you. I, uh, I really wanted to have them share the story because they were in my community group. And uh, I, just, I watched them walk through it. And I felt it. And, you know, the thing is, when you experience church service at Harvest, if they're doing their job right, no one ever thinks about the bassist. It's not like we give him bass solos, you know, like, it's not like Drew's ever going to make himself seen. And yet that guy keeping rhythm with that little instrument, there's a story for a whole family in just that one little piece of this whole thing. And, you know, they may be the ones on stage today, but there's hundred stories like that out there right now among you. I know. I've walked with many of you, seen what a story it is for you to say yes to God and just still be here. And I, I think it's important for us to celebrate and showcase those testimonies. And I'm grateful for the ones who are willing to come up here. It's not an easy thing. If you have a story that gives honor to God, I hope that if we ask you, you will be the one up here sharing with your church how good God is, how worthy he is. I'm going to land the plane this way. Um, A talent, the way Jesus uses it, the way God's word uses it, when we talk about stewarding our talents, it's really just a catch-all for the totality of who we are. Maybe it's your education or a training that most don't have. Maybe it's your good reputation. Maybe... It's access you have that others don't. Or this natural ability to influence and inspire other people. 
Maybe one of your great assets, your talent, is just your personality. People feel good around you. When you smile at them, they can't help but smile. For me, one of the new uh, talents or assets which I am finding myself responding to God with is this unusual new bandwidth I have as a soon-to-be empty nester. I mean, for Jeannie and myself, like so much of our lives was wrapped up in raising children. And now we're saying, like, we raised our children. (laughs) It opens up so much time, so much bandwidth. And I have picked up some hobbies. I'm enjoying and benefiting from that bandwidth. But I'm finding that God is more and more inviting me into some greater things that I couldn't do before in the former seasons of my life. It could just be that the only talent you have is the ability to draw oxygen in and expel carbon dioxide out. And every day, you're just here, steady. You show up. And sometimes that is all God needs to save another life. God can receive glory from any of the things that describe who we are. So I, just, I want to make sure you understand when we talk about talents, we're not talking about juggling or singing, but about every soft asset or quality you think of, which is you. And God can do things with you that I think most of us couldn't imagine. There is a joy in being picked up by God and watching him do things. Some of you know that I'm a budding artist. And the thing about budding artists is we're very easily influenced and envious when we see a great artist working. And every artist goes to this weird stage where you see a great artist using a certain pen and you think, I've got to get that pen. Because that's the ticket. That's the clue. Recently, I've been watching these videos where my favorite artists pick up a Bic crystal stick pen. Have you seen those? Those old school black or blue, throwaway pens you get at the oil change place to to sign your check. And they're making masterpieces with these throwaway ballpoint pens. And it's just reminding me, it's not really the instrument. It's the artist. I can buy all the great art supplies, but it's not going to make me a better artist. But God could take you, he could do something with you, that I don't know if you can imagine what he could do. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up and lead us in a closing song, but we're not going to finish our worship service that way. Uh, We're going to have one more thing we're going to do together as a church, and I'm going to ask you to hang with us because seeds will not release your children anyway. They're hostage for a little bit longer. Let's sing this one song together, and then I'm going to conclude our worship service in a thing we can all do together. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.